Hi, I'm Casey. And I'm Lauren. And this is... Magnum B.I., the true crime podcast where we add a little bit of social justice commentary, a little bit of banter, and um, I don't know. It's been a stressful week. It's been a crazy, (laughs) crazy week. Why don't you update them on all the things that have gone wrong thus far with this episode. <laughs> so I think I think our Salem episode actually might be cursed. So I wanted to um, use the final episode, or the final essay that I had written for my WGS class about witchcraft as like an outline for this episode. But um, apparently I either deleted it or lost it because the essay was gone. Mm-hmm. So I had to do a bunch of new research, which <laughs> was, you know, interesting, but... A lot more time consuming than I anticipated. Um, and then I thought I had COVID yesterday. Mm-hmm. So yep. uh, that's why this episode is a little later than usual. And then for all of our Instagram followers, <laughs> Lauren posted, which I appreciate you posting, uh-huh. but she posted a story with a countdown to this episode in which instead of 11 hours, she put 11 months yeah <laughs> <laughs> so it's gonna be like about a year till you hear this yeah so you guys better stick around just stay tuned yep speaking of which we have an exciting announcement at the end mm-hmm. so make sure you guys listen all the way to the end of the episode and we'll reveal a little secret something we've been working on for a while stay tuned. <laughs> all right so what's your case this week Lauren? this week we're going to be diving into a retrospective look at the salem witch trials So witches. Witches have been a multifaceted symbol of femininity and power that has persisted throughout much of written history. Where medieval witches were thought to be servants of the devil who rode broomsticks and ate babies, modern witches have crafted communities across international borders using the internet to reclaim the label while sharing their beliefs and cultural practices with new audiences. Sites such as YouTube, Reddit, Instagram, and TikTok, most notably a branch dubbed Witch Talk, have become synonymous with a budding sect of followers known as self-proclaimed baby witches. These individuals generally ascribe to religions such as paganism, wicca, heathenry, druidry, voodoo, and new age spirituality. These religions have undergone a dramatic transformation across the course of history in attitudes and public perception alike, with things such as tourism, inclusions in modern media, helping and hurting public perceptions of witches indiscriminately. For example, New Age spirituality has experienced an almost renaissance-like period that has only picked up steam during the COVID-19 pandemic thanks to its views on alternative medicine. And unfortunately, this means that New Age spirituality has divorced from its age of Aquarius-like attitudes from the 70s into a whirlwind of misogyny, warped views of faith, toxic masculinity, all kinds of nasty shit thanks to its annexation by QAnon. (gasps) <gasps> oh, not what I was expecting. <laughs> no, not even a, and you made eye contact when you said QAnon. Too. I was waiting. <laughs> um, in case you guys aren't aware, and I don't know how you wouldn't be, um, QAnon was involved with the January 6th insurrection. Mm-hmm. So unfortunately um, for New Age spirituality, um, its lax views on alternative medicine have kind of made it like a little... What's the word I'm looking for? Like... <laughs> I don't know, <laughs> like, QAnon was like, let's let's take this, let's work on it yeah. a little, so, yeah. that's unfortunate. Regardless, 
as we're going to be discussing views on witchcraft, both modern and antiquated, um, it's important to keep in mind that most witchcraft, you know, heavy air quotes here, was originally native or pagan religious practices held by individuals that were not part of Abrahamic faiths, especially Christianity. So immediately, we want to contextualize the events we will be discussing at length as views held by archaic religious leaders intent on othering and demonizing views that either did not align or explicitly conflicted with their own religious beliefs. Go off! <laughs> this is like your like dissertation. <laughs> I love this. I told you, I was obsessed with this class when I took it winter semester, and I'm like... I'm so into this. Feeling myself Ooh, on this. Ooh, I can't wait. So, we're going to be talking about, um, like, religious views, some art of the time, lots of religious iconography, things that influenced like the attitudes in Salem before we get to Massachusetts. So okay. Bear with me. I love like a background. <laughs> right. That's so good. We're gonna contextualize. <laughs> this has me like my like sociology minor is like chugging right now. Like, this is so good. I was okay. hoping you would enjoy this. <laughs> so <clears throat> before we go to Salem, it stands to reason that we need to discuss the attitudes surrounding witchcraft that immig- immigrated with the settlers that arrived in Massachusetts Oof. when Salem was settled in sixteen ninety two. So, colonialism. Unfortunately, yes. So, um, during the height of the 15th to 18th centuries across Europe, a combination of religious fervor, misogyny, and a fear of the unknown whipped the continent into a witch hunting frenzy. She, the witch, was a figure that terrified religious leaders of the time. She was the branch that tapped at your door after dark, the plague that swept across nations, the wolf in sheep's clothing already nestled snugly into your flock. She was everywhere and nowhere, scapegoat, bewitching temptress all at once, who attended church on Sunday and attended Black Sabbath in the evenings. So this caricature, basically, was a combination of the fears and stereotypes that religious leaders used to create the image of the witch that has persisted to this day. So one of the authors that was like really important in this class that I took about a year and a half ago is named Raisa Maria Toivo. And there's this little quote that I found in our research for the episode that kind of sums up this attitude perfectly. So bear with me as I read it. (laughs) Mm. The witch provided an explanation for the failures, but she was also a figure onto which women could project their own in their own uncertainties and negative feelings. The witch became an anti-mother, an anti-housewife. The witch became death. So this quote does a fantastic job of transitioning us into a space wherein we start to find the ties between gender and female sexuality and how they homogenize with this caricature of, like, an evil temptress, you know, becoming the witch. So what I'm hearing is just, like, misogyny. Absolutely. It's just, like, total misogyny. Yes, because the biggest thing that was on religious leaders at this time, or on their minds at this time, was that they were worried about losing control over their flock. Yeah. And this meant that, like, women specifically any women that didn't measure up to the societal standards of patriarchal religious expectations were the first suspects when it came to witch hunting yeah because as the anti-housewife the anti-mother this woman this person would be the perfect antithesis to saint mary mother of god Mm. which perfectly was like you know the ideal mother the ideal housewife a saint yeah so that was that was our basis for comparison (laughs) and there's also there's so much embedded in like like also our current culture but especially like religious culture that says that women are supposed to like 
teach children morals. Like mm-hmm. women are very much tasked with being the moral teacher yep. in people's lives. Yep, the moral compass of the yeah. household. So the thought of that being like insidious and people not knowing who's a witch, mm-hmm. but knowing that these women could be influencing their children mm-hmm. like right under their noses was mm-hmm. really probably terrifying to, yeah. to these people. Yeah, absolutely. And they would, you know, at any cost want to seek out these, you know, members of either you know, whether it be someone outside their community that was influencing people or someone within their community that was insidious, they were hell-bent on finding these witches because that was the devil, basically. Mm -hmm. So how, how do we contextualize this? So specifically Christian art from the 16th century included themes wherein witches were perverting or, you know, taking advantage of traditionally female symbols. Mm -hmm. And like recontextualizing them into a space where it was more demonic or evil Mm -hmm. so from something as simple as simple as the riding of brooms to the stirring of cauldrons depictions of witches misusing traditional cooking and cleaning implements of wives and mothers was the perfect way to associate the rituals depicted as perverse and deeply wrong that's so interesting right i didn't know that yeah so like you think about you know stereotypical witch she's riding a broom yeah. she's stirring a pot but like back then and like still now to some degree those were tools of the house and the home that yeah. women traditionally used but seeing them used in these different ways you know stirring the pot to make an evil potion riding the broom instead of sweeping the house with it that's how they associated like everything wrong with the witch with womanhood that's so and like domesticity exactly. that's so interesting isn't that crazy yeah that's cool <laughs> let's see Some artists even took this, you know, metaphorical perversion to the next level, making their depictions of witches pornographic in nature. Mm -hmm. So here we have the demonization of female sexuality, which at this time was beyond taboo. Yeah. Like women, (laughs) women existed to have babies and that was it. Mm -hmm. We didn't talk about women. So some images like woodcuts from the 16th centuries included um, swirling vapors of desire that would emanate from the body of witches and like withered crones as they were holding communion with the devil others would imply that witches themselves were performing sexual acts upon one another because of course being gay is evil yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. and still others would make the image of the withered crones during the cauldron their focal point which seems tame in comparison right mm-hmm. however we know from research at the time that cauldrons slash pots were a metaphorical stand-in for a vagina mm. or a womb and a stick or a staff or a spoon would symbolize a penis. Mm. So they were basically like drawing porn and being like, these witches are evil. And then they're <laughs> fucking. <laughs> so that's, it was crazy looking back on that because I mean, how many like Disney movies can you think of where there's like a witch stirring a pot? Yeah. Like, no, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the influence is so deeply rooted in the culture. It's insane. And like children on Halloween, like who dresses a witch, they carry around a broom, mm-hmm. you know, like that's just part of the, yeah, this is part of the culture. It's crazy to think like how like far reaching all of this is. It's insane. And lasting. Yeah. Oh, completely. That's yeah. so crazy. So now that we have a more concrete view on what a witch is, it's time to discuss the witch hunts. In and of, I know, right? Here we go. <laughs> in and of itself, the accusation of witchcraft implied that the individual of interest had already made a pact with the devil, which in and of itself is considered heresy. So you're already flying in the face of the church by even saying this person could possibly be a witch. Because if they were a witch, 
they would have already signed a contract and like sold their soul to the devil. Mm-hmm. So doing that, I'm not religious, so bear with me. <laughs> in doing that, you would have already like basically given up your soul to the devil and like violated your binding pact with Christ, yeah. making you a heretic. So, <laughs> isn't that crazy? I tell you. <laughs> <laughs> um, in and of itself, you know, that basically damned the person to all eternity and, you know, subjected the individual to punishment by religious leaders mm-hmm. and members within their communities because obviously that's evil. So, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> um, it was the religious leader's job to maintain order at any cost. So, as the fear of black magic and deals with the devil begin to spread across the continent, the main priority of the ruling class was to seek out troublemakers and maintain the status quo at any cost, lest their flock fall into the clutches of the evil witches. Dun-dun-dun. So, witches themselves fell into two categories. An enemy from outside the community, which could be, like, a vagrant, a beggar, a traveler, anyone who seemed suspicious and was, like, new, basically. Xenophobia and classism. Say it again! (laughs) (laughs) Xenophobia! And classism. Oh my god, Casey, when's your album coming out? <laughs> Not soon enough. Not soon enough. It's called The Daughter of the Witch They Couldn't Burn. Ooh, on God. It's my debut. All yeah. right, I'll, I'll stream that for you. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> and then um, the second one, of course, is the enemy within the community. And this could be a wife, a child, a family member, a house servant, a neighbor, um, and especially any woman without male family members to like defend her or vouch on her behalf Mm -hmm. especially widows or slaves or indentured servants easy targets yes so this othering of individuals that disrupted the order of these isolated european farming villages meant that any behavior any behavior that seemed unsightly or unusual could result in a person being branded as a witch especially at the height of the hysteria Mm -hmm. and i have another quick quote from someone by the name of Owen Davies, which sums this up. Self-interest, insubordination, revenge, hatred, envy, greed, belligerence, and fornication were thought to drive witches into the arms of Satan from a demonologist's point of view, Mm -hmm. which is basically like a religious scholar. So now we've kind of like laid the groundwork for like what it takes to be accused as a witch right it's basically anybody that seems quote-unquote out of place Mm -hmm. it's anyone who's failing to meet those standards of womanhood Mm -hmm. the expectations of the family the typical family dynamic anything that just doesn't seem quite right which you know doesn't really seem fair (laughs) in Mm, my opinion no it's not fair (laughs) like any like literally anything that deviated from the straight have sex to make babies don't leave the house be meek and mild and submit to your husband like very much that anything that wasn't that was evil basically and even then you can be accused of doing those things but also like having sold your soul to satan Mm -hmm. and you're just like sneaking around and you're nefarious Mm mm-hmm yeah. Very much so. And one of the things that um, we'll touch on a little later um, as we discuss the trials that was especially damning was that in <laughs> in witch hunt trials, these claims could be made without like any actual evidence. Yeah, there well, because was... what is evidence? Exactly, yeah. <laughs> they, uh, And we'll discuss some of that later, which is unfortunate. But there was this thing called spectral evidence where people could just be like, whether like i saw it in a dream or just basically he said she said of like this person's a witch and the courts would take it at face value because everyone was whipped into such a frenzy 
that it didn't really matter if there was like physical evidence or even eyewitness accounts for that matter. It was just as easy as saying, oh, I, I have a feeling, Yep. you know, this is giving Reykjavik confessions. Very much so, (laughs) except there's no police here. It's just a bunch of like half starved, crazy Puritans, Mm -hmm. which is going to be insane. (laughs) So and also probably so sexually frustrated. Yes. <laughs> like, can you imagine? The female hysteria. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, my God. Of course, the Puritans, too. <clears throat> like, the, what was it? The little tricorn hats. Yeah. <laughs> it's going to be crazy. Happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving. So, that brings us to Salem. We're in America, everybody. Woo. So, the year is 1629. Salem, Massachusetts is settled by a group of Puritans, and by this point in Europe, the witch trials are starting to slowly fade out of fashion. Mm-hmm. While hearings, trials, and executions would still occur into the 18th and 19th centuries, it was less so a mass hysteria and more so like an occasional spectacle. Okay. But in the colonies, that's another story. <laughs> so, here we are. The year is 1689. A man by the name of Samuel Paris travels from Boston to Salem with his daughter Elizabeth, his niece Abigail, and two enslaved native individuals named Tituba and John Indian, who are married. He was appointed as the religious leader of the town after the settlement had tried and failed to keep three other pastors. So the town has a reputation for being quarrelsome and <laughs> disorganized amongst the neighboring settlements. And yeah, oh. Samuel shows up and he's like, I'm going to straighten these folks out. Oof. <laughs> Oof. So. I didn't know that. I didn't know it was, there was a background there oh, yeah, about no. that. They like tried to keep a bunch of like different religious leaders and they all kept like leaving mm-hmm. because they just had such a hard time with the colony beforehand. And, um. I think before this, there was, like, one specific recorded incidence of witchcraft before this that the previous pastor had taken care of, but the main focus is going to fall upon um, Samuel's daughter, Abigail, Mm -hmm. and his niece, Elizabeth, who, on January 20th, 1692, are the first recorded victims of affliction, which is basically being bewitched in mm-hmm. layman's terms. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because um, according to historical records, the girls start acting strangely, having fits, screaming in pain, and claiming that invisible spirits are pinching them. But when they call a doctor, th- there's nothing physically wrong with them that they can tell. Yeah. And, you know, 300 years later, obviously we have no idea what was actually causing this, whether there's like some sort of actual medical cause for what was happening or... You know, it was just, like, them moving to a new space and, like, I don't know, the stress getting to them in a certain way. Or... And being teen girls. Yeah, and teenagers. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> or if there was, like, something actually going on. But the physician, not being able to figure it out by a 1692 medical standard, says, <laughs> you know what this is? Oh, no, 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 no. It's witchcraft. <laughs> Imagine it's witchcraft. A, your doctor currently. <laughs> you were like, I'm having really bad period cramps. And he was like... <laughs> Oh no! <laughs> it's the demons. In the Lord's year of 2022. <laughs> I would not go that far. No, 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 no. <laughs> he goes, you know what this is, girl? It's witches. <laughs> and I would be like, you know what? You're right. I hadn't considered that. <laughs> She's afflicted. <laughs> She's afflicted. Oh no. <laughs> so. Your doctor is Mae West. <laughs> She lives here, dude. (laughs) So, um, the doctor, William Griggs, hypothesizes that someone is bewitching the girls 
to punish the new minister and his family, you know, like for whatever reason, like the townspeople don't like outsiders. Yeah. Or he's trying know, to bring order. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, and they're yeah. not appreciating that. So for a while, Reverend Paris tries to keep the girl's symptoms a secret. However, you know, since it's a small town, word eventually gets out. Obviously, he tries to keep up appearances, but that doesn't work out. Yeah. The settlement quickly grows uneasy as they fear that the witch amongst them will eventually extend her malicious magics to other members of the community. And here's another little quote from an article I found on the life of Tituba, and it reads, As the, at this time, Mary Sibley, a member of the church, gave directions to John Indian, Tituba's husband, on how to find out who bewitched Elizabeth Paris and Abigail Williams. This was done without the knowledge of Reverend Paris. The means used to make the discovery was to make a cake of rye meal with the urine of the afflicted children, Ugh. bake it in ashes, and give it to a dog to eat. And this- <laughs> <laughs> Whose idea was that? Very sibby. <laughs> yeah, but like, what? So, apparently, this practice is supposed to be a piece of, like, European folklore that's supposed to help, like, seek out the witch. Because apparently, if you feed the cake to a dog, the dog will, like, go to the doorstep of whoever is the witch and die. And whoever... Oh, God. (laughs) Which is is terrible. (laughs) Um, But that was supposed to be, like, the way in which you could tell who had bewitched the kids because um animals were supposed to be familiars of the witches right okay yeah so they would have some sort of affinity for the witch's black magics and would be drawn to her in their final moments and die so (laughs) that's crazy yeah so mary basically feeds this information to john and tituba and says hey if you really want to help out the colonists or you really want to help your community you should do this thing to help us figure out who the witch really is so By late February of 1692, the townsfolk are growing more impatient. They want to know who the witch is. Fear and resentment had begun to build towards the reverend and the two girls under his care. And with mounting pressure from the townsfolk, Chichuba makes the witch cake and feeds it to their family dog. The next day, the girls accuse her of witchcraft. Oh, Oh, no. Yes. So them watching her do this entire thing was enough to be like, that's her. Obviously, it must be her. Yeah. So. <laughs> Which, like, why? I mean, nothing here is rational. Yeah. But why would it be? If she's trying to help find out who it was mm-hmm. and, it, like, accuse that person, mm-hmm. why would she be, you know what I mean? Like, why would she be the one helping find them? Because she's the outsider. Yeah. Which is And terrible. she's enslaved, so. Yep. So, yeah, as, as Casey just said, this in and of itself is a near-death sentence for her just at the basis of accusation as a native woman much less an enslaved native woman Mm -hmm. who had eyewitnesses accusing her after she made the witch cake herself she was trapped in an impossible position so of course reverend paris is furious and you know bodies the girl's accusations and accuses her himself he holds counsel with his most trusted advisors and questions her for hours. Ugh. She denies that she's a witch and promised that she would never do anything to intentionally harm the children. And since Tichuba never confessed the crime, she wasn't initially arrested. However, that didn't stop Reverend Paris from punishing her himself. So Ugh. he... And this is horrible. Trigger warning for violence. Samuel Paris whipped and beat Tichuba 
for weeks. Oh my god. Until she confessed to the alleged crime. Oh. After which she was arrested. I didn't know any of that. Yeah. I did not. I mean, I knew about Tachuba and I knew that she was the first person to confess, but I did not know it was literally beaten out of her. Yeah. Because, wow. because she was very adamantly like, absolutely not. I would never do anything to hurt these girls. I love them. Like, and obviously, you know, even if she didn't give a fuck about these kids, she would deny yeah. doing any of this because obviously she didn't want to be like tried and hanged and everything. Yeah. So Samuel was like, you know what? You're a witch. I've already decided and you're going to become one because I'm going to make you one. Oh my God. So unfortunately. Oh, that's so heartbreaking. Yeah. So, no, you're fine. <laughs> so, unfortunately, as we know now, but little did anyone know at the time, Tichuba's confession would catalyze the witch hunt that would go down in history as one of the most unhinged cases of mass hysteria mm-hmm. in the entirety of American history. So, after her confession, two new victims stepped forward, claiming that Tichuba had also afflicted them. They claimed two new women, Sarah Good and Sarah Osborne um, were also acting as co-conspirators and bewitching other people as well. We had to take a brief intermission because I knocked an entire hydro flask full of water onto my carpet. <laughs> uh, we had to go back and listen to the audio, but you can definitely hear you it. You can hear gong gong. <laughs> yeah, the clock. Okay, sorry. Um, Sarah Good and Sarah Osborne. That's right. Yeah. So... I'm also going to take this moment as an opportunity to mention that there will be some um, brief depictions of suicide and violence in the coming half of the episode, so just keep that in mind if you're listening. That's on the, the docket. So, Tachuba names Sarah Good and Sarah... Or no. Two other victims step forward and name Sarah Good and Sarah Osborne as Tachuba's co-conspirators. So, let's pause. What do all of these women have in common? Tachuba is immediately disadvantaged. She's an enslaved woman who is viewed as untrustworthy just by the basis of her societal standing. Yeah. And without the lens of racism to draw upon for this conclusion, like even without that, this assumption is evidenced by the fact that Reverend Paris beat her for weeks on end <sighs> at the mere unfounded accusation of her being a witch. He was just immediately like, you know what? This is a witch. Mm-hmm. Don't care. Sarah Good is an outsider within the community. Her father unfortunately committed suicide when she was very young Mm. and left her without a dowry or a support system for her mother and seven other siblings to rely on. Mm. Her situation only worsened after her husband died and left her in even greater debt, leaving her as a penniless widow by the time she was accused. And, you know, not that this is something that should, like... What am I trying to say here? She was also a bitch. Oh. Which didn't help. But (laughs) I'm not saying that that should be something that, like, should be the basis for an accusation. But it also did not help that, like, she was basically miserable to be around all the time. Interesting. Okay. Gotcha. So that leaves Sarah Osborne. And she herself upset the status quo of Salem. She moved there in 1662 with her wealthy husband, who died a little over 10 years later. Instead of allowing the family farm to pass on to her husband's sons, as per his wishes, Sarah remarries and takes control of the extravagant farm herself. Okay. So she's in charge of this bitch. She's like, thank you. Mm -hmm. I will be taking that. 
and she further upsets the societal norms by remarrying to an indentured servant that used to work on the farm. Oh. So she was just going off. She yeah. didn't give a fuck. So it's not a stretch to imagine that these three women would be the three base witches accused at this trial. Mm-hmm. They are out here doing whatever, minding their business, and everyone's like, you know who would be a good witch? <laughs> it's like that yeah. one of these things is not like the other game yeah. <laughs> just picked them out we're like okay there you go Oof. so unfortunately arrest warrants are issued for the three women and the town begins the process of bringing them to trial so what does um bringing a witch to trial look like torture basically which is really unfortunate and what does this look like um we have a couple things to base our assumptions off of number one is physical examinations which sounds exactly like what it is they basically strip you naked and look for anything on your body that is considered unsightly so they could look at a mole and be like this is the mark of the devil yeah they could see like a stretch mark and be like mark of the devil yeah there was also something that they would look for called a witch's teeth which was supposed to be like an extra nipple on which demons could breastfeed but, like, what the fuck is that? Yeah. <laughs> and, like, where would you even <laughs> find that? On which demons could breastfeed? I'm not kidding. This oh. is this is shit that they would look for. They're like, ah, the third nipple. <laughs> it's like, who came up with these things? Same thing with the cake. It's yeah. like, I know it's folklore or whatever, but even back then, like, yeah. whose idea was that? Yeah, like, literally. Like, where is this coming from? Yeah. What kind of crack are y'all smoking? <laughs> yeah. The witch's crack. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's insane. So we have um, physical examinations. There's also being thrown into rivers. And mm. this was this one was especially stupid because if you floated when you were tossed into the river, you were a witch. Which most, you know, people do. <laughs> <laughs> but if you sank and drowned, you were innocent. <laughs> Which is just so stupid to me. Yeah. Because you're you're fucked either way. They just get rid of you, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um there's also <laughs> the questioning for hours on end, beatings. Um, something called being pressed, which is where they would put an extremely heavy rock on top of you mm. and leave you there until the confession was squeezed out of you. That's like, you can't like take a step back and think critically about that. <laughs> no, they can't. <laughs> yeah, they they're not. Can't. <laughs> they're just choosing not to. Yeah, and so they would be like left underneath these heavy rocks until they either confessed or they died, which is crazy. Mm. It's literally insane. Um... And then, of course, as we mentioned earlier, there's also um, people using things like circumstantial or spectral evidence, which wasn't, like, formally abolished in courts until, like, years later. Wow. They had to, like, get an outside source to be like, hey, maybe saying you saw this in a dream didn't hold up in a court of law. <laughs> yeah. And, of course, the good old-fashioned he said, she said, yeah. which we love. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. basically, if you're accused and you don't have anybody of, like, a higher social standing to vouch for you, you're fucked. Mm-hmm. You're just screwed. Mm-hmm. So, knowing this, Tachuba confesses to everything. Everything that Samuel Paris thought she was guilty of, and then some. And, in retrospect, this actually saves her life. Because her options were confess or die. And, you know, you could confess and be sent to jail, and people would just kind of, like, be whatever. Or you could not confess and take your innocence with you to the grave. Because once you were accused, you were basically already guilty. Mm-hmm. So unless you owned it, you were fucked. Because they would, like, press you or throw you in a river yeah. or hang you. Yeah. You know, they didn't care. So 
she went ahead and named the other two women as her accomplices and owns the narrative. She says that um, in her confession to the jury that the two women, Sarah and Sarah, had <laughs> bullied her into becoming a witch. Uh, and while whoa. this was going, yeah, right. <laughs> so she's like, fuck she these. She ran with it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> she's like, fuck these Good girls for her, in honestly. particular. Good for her. Yep, because what else are you gonna do? You're screwed. Yeah. So she says, um, yeah, Sarah and Sarah bullied me into being a witch. And as this is going <laughs> on, the um, afflicted girls in the courtroom who had been screaming and crying the entire time, basically, you know, being afflicted, fell silent once she spoke. So they were, this entire thing is turning into a, Tatuba is right. Everybody listen to Tatuba. And it absolutely works in her favor because Whoa. all the other settlers were like, oh my God, these cursed girls stopped screaming. She must be telling the truth. Yeah. So. She's probably like, holy shit, this worked. Yeah, right? <laughs> She's like, oh my God. All right, we're going to keep going. Yeah. <laughs> she says that the spirit of Sarah Good was actually in the courtroom with them at this time. And as she was speaking, was actively inflicting harm on the girls that had been, like, screaming and crying up until she confessed. Whoa. And she, like, fully plays it up. She's running with it. Yeah. So she continues to spin this narrative, basically confesses to everything, until she is suddenly struck blind and mute in the middle of her confession, supposedly by the spirit of Sarah Good. And the trial ends in complete chaos. She's an actress. Right? Like, she's a baddie. I like her. <laughs> I really, really, really like her. Like, I remembered parts of this from when I took the class a while ago. But, like, relearning a lot of this and then doing some outside research specifically into Tichuba, I was, like, very blown away. Yeah. Because she takes a shit situation and turns it into something that basically saves her life. And for being an enslaved woman who I don't know if she could read or write. Yeah, I mean, I doubt she could read or write, you know what I mean? Unfortunately, yeah. To, like, be able to really spin this strategy, and mm-hmm. then for it to work. And for it to work! Yeah, and oh. to pull off the lying and the acting. Yeah, and, and everyone buys it. They're like, oh my god. She's telling the truth. We have to get Sarah 1 and Sarah 2. <laughs> we gotta go get them. <laughs> That's em. really impressive. Yep. Wow. So I didn't know any of this. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. So the next day... Um, as she's in jail, she's questioned again, and she goes on to reveal that at the behest of Sarah and Sarah, she had signed the Devil's Book, which was the contract with the Devil we spoke earlier. Mm-hmm. So this was at the behest of the other witches, and she reveals that there are nine signatures in the book, spinning the narrative, and in turn implying that there are more hidden witches in uh, the community. Okay, so she didn't have to do that. <laughs> That that's a bit over. I mean, I like I get it, but like that's a bit. So in doing this, however, she completely removes the focus of the trial from her into the surrounding community and catalyzes the witch hunt. That's so smart. <laughs> that's so I wow. Right. So impressed by right? this woman. Yeah. Like she's like okay. That's so smart. Y'all thought it was me. Just kidding. There's 10 witches and they're all around you and you don't know who they are. Go get them. Wow. Right? Like, and then they're all on her side. Yeah, they're like, oh my god, thank you for telling us. Now we have to go find these other evil bitches. She's like, these white people are <laughs> fucking insane. <laughs> and I'm gonna let them, like, do their thing. Literally. <laughs> She's like, alright, go get them. Whatever. Yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> okay. So, um, of course, at this time, no one knew that Tituba had been, like, basically beaten until she confessed by Samuel. 
um, until she crafted this lie, and at the result of her confession, the effect on the community surrounding her was completely catastrophic. Mm -hmm. The entire town had been present to hear Tituba's entire confession, so it was no wonder that the future accusations perfectly aligned with all of the things she had mentioned in her trial. Mm. They had a blueprint from which to draw upon. They were like, oh... Um, I'm also being pinched by invisible spirits, and um, also I saw Sarah's name in the Devil's Book, yeah. so go get her. <laughs> yeah, and that just completely catalyzed the entire town to go on this insane witch hunt. And Tatuba sat in jail for like a year and watched in horror as more than a hundred people are accused and twenty are executed. Like, and meanwhile, she knows this is not true. She knows that all of this is horseshit. Yeah. And she just sits back and watches the entire town burn. Yeah. Like, what a woman. What a woman. What a woman. And I wonder what was going through, because I'm, like, on one hand, she's probably like, oh my god, this worked, thank god, mm-hmm. I'm alive. Yeah. And on the other hand, she's probably like, what did I just do? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, who could have known that it would go this way? Like, that is such a fucking insane situation to find yourself in, number one. And to have it, like, pick up steam to the point where people are accusing their family members, their friends, their fam- their neighbors. Anyone like, they have a small problem with. A small smidgen of doubt. They're like, get them. Yeah. Hang them. Put them between the rocks. Cancel culture times 27. <laughs> this is pre-me too. This is pre-me too. They were <laughs> fucking destroying bitches over this. Whoa. Like, it's crazy. This it, is really, really crazy. Like... I, you know, the breath of this is still probably, I probably don't even know the full extent of all this, obviously, because I researched it for like a week and took one class on it. Yeah. I'm sure I could write like 20 podcast episodes on this topic alone, like mass hysteria. It's fascinating, yeah. Misogyny, it's crazy, right? I just wonder like if there was anybody in the community who like really genuinely was like, this is so freaking dumb. Like mm-hmm. if there was anyone who just like was not on board for this mm-hmm. at all, but like just was a part of it you know what i mean into it yeah Mm -hmm. yeah yeah i mean there are a couple witches that are accused that like run away basically and leave until Mm -hmm. their names are cleared much later on but you know four members within the community i don't know wow which is crazy to think about so the only thing that brings this like insane witch hunt to a close is at the intervention of the governor of the entire colony itself. So, in October of 1692, Sir William Phipps takes charge of the settlement and appoints a new court to preside over the remaining accused witches. So, I think at this point, like, um, like, I I think all the people that have been executed have been executed at this point, Mm -hmm. but there's still, like, 50 or so people in jail waiting trial because people are, like, um, pregnant, or they have, like, some other opposition to killing them immediately. So they're, they just have all these people sitting in jail waiting to die, basically. Oh, my God. So Phipps shows up and he's like, um, what the fuck is this? Yeah. <laughs> and also, um, let's get some new people on this court in here. Because obviously, um, y'all aren't running this shit correctly. Yeah. Um, so once a figure of authority appears to preside over the remaining trials, the hysteria falls to pieces. It begins to subside. Members within the community that had vehemently accused multiple individuals of being witches lost their venom as the new governor pardoned the accused, dissolved the previous courts, and got rid of the trials completely. So most of the accused individuals are released, including Tituba, 
who was sold to a new slave master in 1693 and escaped relatively unscathed. Which, to her credit, is incredible. Yeah. Again. Like, yeah. I'm thoroughly impressed. She had every odd stacked against her. Yeah. Like, and I put another little note in here saying something along the lines of, um, <laughs> stupid woman syndrome basically saved her life. Yeah. <laughs> because in another one of the bi- biographies I read, um, you know, once the witch hunt hysteria had subsided, um, people were like, oh, this was just, <laughs> and this is, like, obviously so like backwards and racist and horrible for the time but they were like oh this stupid woman had no idea what she was doing so she was dubbed an ignoramus like as she was put up to auction and people were like oh like she had no idea what she was doing it was no fault of her own and she was able to get out of there completely fine meanwhile this is like the smartest woman in like american history (laughs) the smartest woman in all of salem and they're like oh she just didn't know what she was doing but in reality i think if she had spun the story any differently she would have been killed yes 100 percent. so and also for all of them to be like she didn't know what she was talking about when like a month ago they were like accusing their grandmother of being a witch and now they're like that was so stupid they're like nana chews uh mint leaves so her (laughs) mouth doesn't smell like fucking death and she's the witch this is pre-toothpaste exactly and they're like get rid of it kill 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 yeah so she she gets out unscathed so by may of 1693 the same year that tituba is um sold unfortunately we don't have any more information on her life after that um phipps pardons all the remaining accused witches and releases them from jail by january 14th 1697 one of the former judges that had presided over the sentencing during the trials publicly admits that he made many errors in judgment and laments his actions. So he's like completely admitting to being swept up in the hysteria and is like, I fucked up. Sorry, everyone. Sorry, I killed your grandma. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. Oopsies. So that same year, as you know, everything is kind of coming to a close and falling to pieces, Samuel Paris is forcibly removed as the minister of Salem and replaced so Mm. fuck that guy Mm -hmm. he's gone get out in 1702 the current governor of massachusetts declared that all of the witch trials that had occurred during 1692 were unlawful and pardoned the remaining living accused witches so they're basically just trying to make up for everything they did because they're like we really fucked up (sighs) too little too late in my opinion but we get to this a little in a little bit so that same year, one of the principal accusers of the trials um, admits her own wrongdoings and publicly apologizes for her involvement. In 1711, 22 individuals are financially compensated by the Massachusetts government with 600 pounds sterling, which adjusted for inflation and translated into dollars ends up being 102000 one hundred and seventeen dollars and twenty two cents a piece. Damn. Right. All right. <laughs> so, I mean, I don't know if that's worth all of the insane shit that happened to them, it's but not. it's a pretty good start. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. they compensated them somewhat for all the trauma they went through. <clears throat> and by nineteen fifty seven, the state of Massachusetts formally apologizes to the remaining descendants of the settlers, <laughs> and a memorial to commemorate the tragedy is installed in 1992 on the 300th anniversary of the trials. So, okay, performative activism. Right. But I... <laughs> so, even now, 
330 years in the future, we have no idea what truly afflicted Elizabeth Paris or Abigail Williams. Was it some random passing illness that doctors of the time were unable to identify? Genuine witchcraft? Hysteria and fear? And fear? Wow. Manifesting <laughs> itself into physical symptoms? No one truly knows for sure. But we do know, based on the historical evidence leading us from the bowels of Puritan Europe to the kangaroo courts of Salem, the fears of female power, sexuality, and their influence upsetting the fragile status quo of America's third colony were enough to turn the sleepy town of Salem into a witchcraft-obsessed nightmare, leaving behind a legacy that still haunts and fascinates people to this day. <laughs> that was so good! <laughs> Whoa! I'm glad you liked it. That was crazy. Right? See, this is one of those things that we learn about in school. We, like, read, like, I mean, The Crucible. Like, we, yep. like, we're, we really deeply learn about it. Mm -hmm. But I didn't know any of that. Like, about Tichaba, about how intelligent she was. Mm -hmm. Like, the whole sociological background of mm -hmm. witch hunts. That's mm -hmm. really crazy. I'm surprised. You're a WGS major, aren't you? Yeah, I should have taken that class. No kidding. I really should have taken that class. <laughs> That's really cool. Thank you wow yeah. come on Salem right well thank you so much for that story Lauren you're welcome that was amazing <laughs> I really enjoyed it even though literally almost anything that could have gone wrong with this episode went wrong <laughs> and it'll be out in 11 months <laughs> Yeah, in 11 months. I'm so glad you enjoyed it because I had a lot of fun researching it and like crafting a narrative and all I that I loved stuff. it. That was really, really, really fun. Thank you. I liked it a lot. <laughs> Lauren is blackmailing me into telling a story now. Because <laughs> I had to tell an embarrassing story about um, accidentally flashing an entire beach. So I said, <laughs> You volunteered to tell that story. Well, I think you should tell this one because it's also really funny. Okay. Mom, Dad, if you're watching this, I'm kindly asking you to stop <laughs> and i'll see you next time <laughs> and then after this story i will guess lauren's middle name and we have an exciting announcement yep but so i told her the story the other day and she was insisting that i tell it on the pod <laughs> i was hooking up with this guy in my mm -hmm. sophomore year yep um who ended up not being a good person mm -hmm. but um so i had posed nude for a magazine mm -hmm. um and they drew me nude mm -hmm. very nice picture actually yeah. if i do say so myself mm -hmm. came out very nice very flattering thank you mm -hmm. it was on the table of contents of this magazine mm -hmm. and um i was hooking up with this guy and i was at his apartment and he had a big collage on the wall of his living room and i saw my naked drawn body <laughs> watching over watching over <laughs> us and i said oh i like that picture <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and he was like, oh, thank you. Like, it's from this magazine. Like, I clipped it out. He was so annoying. Not you hate crap. I hope he's him. listening to this. <laughs> um, but I was like, yeah, like, that's me. Mm -hmm. And he was like, no, it's not. <laughs> and so I showed him the original photo. Mm -hmm. um, and he kept it up. Wow. Yeah. Even after all that? Even after all that. Wow. And then the last time we ever spoke was me being like, you're not a nice person. And I stormed out of his apartment. <laughs> and storm you did. You should have taken that drawing with you. I wonder if it's still there. <laughs> it I really is. wonder if it's still there. From what you've told me of this person, it seems like he's the kind of person to um, maintain the collage for the aesthetic. Yes. Despite the uh, personal upset. And then every time he has a new guy over, be like, this is my ex lover. <laughs> 
guy's a total asshole. He I hate him. Sucks. He sucks. And mom and dad, if you continue listening, that's your fault. <laughs> That's all I'm going to gonna say. Now you have to think about Casey's nude body <laughs> circulating. <laughs> <laughs> there are worse things, you know? Yeah, there are certainly worse things. Yeah. Um, so, your middle name. Yes. I don't know it. This is true. We're on episode six, and we're still guessing. I know it's B-E. B-E. B-E aggressive. B-E aggressive. Um, and she promised that if we get to the end of the season, and I don't guess it, she'll tell me. Mm-hmm. I have a good one. Okay. But I forget it. But, wait, I literally had such a good one. <laughs> Did you actually forget Be- Oh, there it is. Ready? Mm. Beth Ann. No. That's my boss. I know. Or it was my boss. And that's what I was thinking. Like, maybe she's embarrassed. Well, okay. I'll give you one more hint. Okay. It is old-timey. Well, that's what I figured. Yeah. Because you wouldn't be embarrassed if it was, like, Belladonna. Well, not embarrassed, per se, but I don't... <laughs> It's it's weird. It's kind of out there. You don't like sit with it. It's not well, it's not even that I don't sit with it. I just think it's kind of funny because it's very much like I don't think a name I ever would have heard if it hadn't been for a family member who had this name. But I've done Beverly, I've done Bernadette, I've done I I can't think of anything else. Let me think. I would say out of all of the ones you've guessed, Bernadette phonetically is the closest. Okay. All right, I'll keep that in mind for the next time. There you go. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Okay, um, our next episode will be my case. Yes. Um, I am doing the case of the club kid extraordinaire, king of the club kids, king of New York City nightlife, um, and horrible person. Mm-hmm. And his name was Michael Alig. Yep. So stay tuned for a little 1990s gay New York City true crime. It's going to be exciting. It's going to be gory. A staple of the queer community, I unfortunately. Unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Um, and our announcement. I know. Ooh. Do you want to share? I, yeah, I guess we can. So Casey and I have been talking about doing this for a while, um, on top of already doing the podcast, but we decided that we were, are going to start recording. We're pregnant. No. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, he's pregnant. <laughs> no, we're going to start doing video episodes. So instead of just sitting there looking at a blank screen on your phone, you're going to see our adorable little faces. Woo! Which I'm so excited about. We've been talking about getting a tapestry and like some little fairy lights and things to set up. So hopefully, logistically, we'll have that figured out after the next episode airs. Mm-hmm. So... Hopefully, by the time it's time to record my next episode, there will be a little video to go with it. Yeah. So, stay tuned for that. Super exciting. And, of course, we'll still have the, like, Spotify podcast, mm-hmm. Apple podcast podcast well, available. Yep. The audio will still be live for you mm-hmm. guys to check out. But there's also going to be a little video, hopefully, on YouTube or TikTok and Instagram so that you can see all of our little facial expressions we make as... Um, I listen to That's No Bananas, or Casey <laughs> Spills His Water Again. So, um, yeah, look forward to that. Can't wait for those of you who just love seeing our faces. I know. I'm, I'm so excited. Me too. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you for listening. Yeah, thank you guys so much for listening. We had a lot of fun doing this episode. This has been great. Yeah, so Magnum B.I. B.I. Bye. See you guys next time. See you next time.